0: Welcome back to Art Watch podcast. Finally, um I'm so sorry that it took me for fucking ever to record this and then to get it uploaded. I was in the middle of my first exam which is like this big comp exam and there was a point I literally did not know what day it was. Um, so that was fun. And by fun I mean horrifying. And terrible. Um, but on the right side, I passed. Woo! <laughs> I'm now a level 2 student, yay! Um, and on top of that, like I've had a lot of personal stuff going on. so. Thanks for bearing with me this summer as I slowly but surely get my shit together. I've actually already started the new school semester, so super excited, but I'm also dealing with a lot of bureaucracy bullshit for my university, and that's fun, so yay, losing some funding, woo, because I wasn't able to move, or move back, and I wasn't able to move back to New York. Yeah, it's a whole thing. It's a pain in the fucking ass, and I'm so over it. Um, but my classmates are incredible and they're so supportive. So that's, that's great. They're, they're making my experience. I'm not going to lie. Um, let's see. Oh yes. I finally started teaching. Super fun. One student was like so kind. She stayed after class and was like, I'm actually excited to take this. I'm like, oh, cool. That was so nice. It made my heart all happy. Um, so it was, it was a nice first week back to school and, um, yeah, I think I'm really going to like this this semester much more than the last two, I think. Um, let's see. Okay, I have made a ton of updates uh, to the website and the Patreon, but let me, let me start with the website. So I have finally posted the initial blog post and there's an option for you to subscribe. I promise I'm not going to spam you. A Blog post will probably only be once a month. Um, I'll take requests on on like what you want me to write about and it's probably going to be like my own little art adventures and maybe links to different research pages of episodes that I've talked about. Stuff like that. Some cool, cool things. And just kind of making sure everybody has access to wonderful resources. So yeah, I mean, it's really up to you as to what else you'd like me to put on blog posts and Yeah, I'm pretty excited for it. It'll give me a chance to practice writing in a different, more fun way. So you'll see on the homepage, there's going to be a little button for support ArtWatch. It's going to lead you to two options. One is becoming a patron. And if you decide you want to do that, it'll reroute you to Patreon. There's a lot of really cool updates, which I'll talk about in just a minute. And the second is a donation tab. So I understand that not everyone wants to commit to a monthly charge. So this is going to be like buy me a coffee, but instead, it's directed through my website. The reason why I opted for this instead of buy me a coffee is because if you're not familiar with any of those, like, donation websites, whether it's Patreon, buy me a coffee, however other millions there are out there, they do take a percentage of anything you donate. So this way, it's going more so directly to me, I believe, Squarespace might take like three cents, I think it says, it's just a processing fee through Stripe but it's, it's something very very low um so this way i'm getting a little bit more of it and it's going to help me stay more consistent and yeah so like whatever you donate whether it's just a dollar i am so incredibly grateful and i hope you are enjoying Artwatch as much as i am granted i know this summer has been an absolute shit show but i think this this coming semester is going to be a lot better i have been using my planner a lot and I'm, I'm slowly getting into the swing of things with the new semester and teaching. Um, so I think it's going to be, I think we're going to be more consistent. I'm going to force myself to be more consistent, I should say. All right. So the Patreon, I have made a lot of updates. Like I was saying about like the donation tab for Patreon and co- Buy Me Coffee, the wording on their site, on Patreon site for the merch option for like the $30 level and $50 level. Um, They'll actually take a large percentage of all of my earnings from Patreon. So even if you're at like a three or six dollar level, they're going to take some of that from me to process all the merch. So I decided against doing merch through Patreon and instead I'm going to offer merch that I create. Odin, really? You have to scratch right now? Sorry, my dog. If you hear like weird thumping in the background, he's a big old oaf, but he's scratching his face. Anyway, so on Patreon, the $3 and $6 monthly levels are going to be the same, but it's where the $12 level that you start to see the differences. So what's going to happen is that if you do the $12 level, really dogs, you're cute, but come on. Um, I love them dearly. I promise. <laughs> so the $12 level every quarter. So like every three months. Yeah. You'll receive a code for 25% off of a single item of merch from the Artwatch podcast website. So what I'll do is whenever you sign up for the $12 and above, you're going to get, like, I'm going to ask for your email address. And if you have an option for, like, where you actually get merch, your shipping address, it'll be fun. And then $30 level, you'll get all the benefits of the ones before. And instead of a 25% off coupon you're gonna get a 50% off coupon for a single item of merch on the website, and you're gonna get original art made and signed by me. So each quarter you'll get a cyanotype print, which is also called a sun print. And so the cool thing about this is every single one is gonna be unique. And so you'll never get the same thing twice, which I think is a lot more cool. Like you're supporting an art podcast, so why not get some really cool art out of it? Um, And then the $50 level, has also changed. You'll get all of the above, but now it's going to be a 75% off uh, discount for a single item every quarter. And in addition to the sun print, you're also going to get a Polaroid picture and a black and white film print from my own dark room. but the sizes are always going to vary. So I have two different Polaroid cameras. I have one of those that's like, it's kind of similar to the Instax, like the little mini ones, but I also have two or three, actually three Um, Polaroid cameras, well two of them are Polaroid, one of them is like a nice old Kodak. So all the sizes are gonna be different, all the pictures are gonna be different, and as far as the black and white film prints, they'll probably be no bigger than 5x7. And I'm still in the process of working on my Darkroom, so if you do happen to sign up now, I'll probably get them through a developer. But by the end of the year, they'll definitely be from my own darkroom. And both the Polaroid and the black and white print will also be signed by me. And they'll have their own little titles. Um, So, yeah, these are all going to be, like, the sun prints, they're all entirely unique to you. And they'll change every quarter. So I'm just going to, like, take a bunch of pictures. And I'll have, like, a nice little box for you. and, And you'll never get the same one twice. So that's really cool. Um... Yeah, I think that's all the updates to Patreon. So whether you donate on the donation tab on my website or become a patron, share on social media with friends, I greatly appreciate your continued support. Even if it's just downloading the episodes, that helps me out so, so much. Um, but now it's time for our patron shout out. So thank you, Caitlin, so much for continuing to be a patron and supporter of Watch, especially during these last couple months. Um, we really appreciate your support, me and the dogs so much, so, so much. Um, So yeah, let me do a recap on the last episode. So we're still talking about Axis Mundo, but now we're going to talk about like two different artists. Well, they're singular and like groups. It's a whole thing. You'll find out in a second. Um, So Axis Mundo presents over two decades of work, painting, performance, ephemera, print material, video, music, fashion, and photography. And it's in the context of significant artistic and cultural movements in Los Angeles. So There's also male art and artist correspondence, the rise of Chicanx, LGBTQ art, and feminist print media, the formation of alternative spaces, fashion, culture, punk, music, and performance, and the artistic responses to the AIDS crisis. As a result of thorough curatorial research, Axis Mundo marks the first historical consideration um, and significant showing of many of these pioneering artists' work. um, this quote is actually courtesy of Lawndale Art Center. So if you haven't ever checked out their website, definitely do. They're a really cool space. I'm only going to talk about two artists slash groups from the exhibition to make sure I don't go massively over time like I did last time. But if you did like that longer format, let me know. And it's going to be the same on this one. So I'll probably be about that hour mark. And if you really like it, shoot me an email, artwatchpodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram and just let me know. Alright, without further ado, the artists. So the first one I'm going to talk about is Nervous Gender. But during the middle of my research, so this has been going on because I'm trying to find a way to condense all of this wonderful information for you for the last couple weeks. And their website, which was nervousgender.com is no longer active. But thankfully, I had already gone through all of it, or most of it anyway. And I w- I copied it all down. So Hopefully they bring it back up, but I don't know if they will, which is odd because they do have some music on iTunes and I think Spotify too, but I wasn't, I wasn't going to pay for Apple because I am a a broke college student. Anyway, so Nervous Gender is an American punk rock electronic band. They were founded in Los Angeles, California in 1978 by Gerardo Velasquez, Edward Stapleton, Frank, and Michael Ochoa. The band is in part, uh, sorry, The band, in part, based their name off Frank's identity as an androgynous lesbian that looked more masculine, uh, or rather she presented more masculine. Her presentation of gender, especially at the time, challenged gender identity and gender norms. Their music was composed of distorted keyboards and synthesizers, while their performances were confrontational, not just with social norms, but with the audience members as well. They were very um, well known for having sort of... (sighs) I want to say I want to say violent but I don't know if that's the right wording but they would definitely like scream at audience members and all sorts of things they'd run around and do crazy crazy stuff um well not crazy but you you I think you guys know what I'm getting at um so yeah I'm gonna go through sort of their like um chronology yeah um so Frank parted ways with the band in October of 1979 but she quickly rejoined though she did not go on their second tour in San Francisco. So at this time, like they were going back and forth between San Francisco, Los Angeles, and kind of traveling through California. But she didn't go to San Francisco because she believed that it wasn't gonna be very profitable. And she was also working on a lot of other projects too. So each one of these band members has their own individual art practices in conjunction with their collective practice. So while on their second San Francisco tour, they met Sven Pfeiffer. I'm gonna pull a quote directly from their website website. See, I made some notes. Um, So eight year old Sven Pfeiffer is disgusted by Nervous Gender and keeps shooting his cap gun at the Savoy. Nervous Gender is disgusted by Nervous Gender at the Savoy and ends their set after six songs. Having become friends with German citizen Sven, Nervous Gender invites him to avoid immigration authorities by moving in with them in Los Angeles, end quote. And then in 1980, Sven became their drummer and the average age of the band dropped to 13 and a half. At this time, Frank leaves for good to focus on her other music and creative projects. Additionally, Paul Rosler, keyboard player of the Screamers, joins the band on synthesizer and metal surface. So they have a lot of like, things going on, you know, both internally and externally, they're doing all sorts of all sorts of stuff. So based on the band's own chronology, 1980 seems to be a rather tumultuous time. Sven and his mother are deported back to Germany. Michael Cho and Gerardo Vlasquez have a brief brief falling out, and he left to focus on his other projects, though his bandmates in those other projects ironically join Nervous Gender, so that, you know, a little twist there. Um, however, the band plays at Western Front Music Festival, which or sorry, Western Front, which is a music festival in San Francisco, and they have a lot of other gigs. From 19 from January 1983 to August 1986, the nervous gender lineup consisted of original members Velasquez and Stapleton and the Wall of Voodoo members Mark Moreland on guitar, Bruce Moreland on bass, Chaz Gray on synthesizers and keyboards and Ned on drum. No last name there. This lineup was often referred to as the Wall of Gender. And in 1985, Achoo rejoined the band and in 88, the original members celebrated 10 years of, a, of being a band. Their shows continue to have lots of debauchery and live up to their edgy reputation. At the end of 88, Stapleton officially retired from the band. Let me see, I lost my spot. Oh, according to the band website and in interviews with band members, the 80s saw less shows than they had previously done because Velasquez pursued his MFA at Cal State. And this was also coupled with his AIDS diagnosis at some point during this time frame. I couldn't get an accurate date, um, which is understandable. I mean, that's very personal. So the band writes that Gerardo's failing health prevented them from playing more than the occasional gig at practices or at places like fuck exclamation point and the detour. Gerardo was active until the day of his death and was at home with family and close friends when he passed away. Like I said before, the band is known for its confrontational nature, graphic depictions of violence and sexuality, as well as their underlying social commentary in their lyrics. Many of their lyrics and actions in concerts were misogynistic, and this carried over into their music videos as well. One of the music videos which has survived at least I found on YouTube and very and like other, you know, video sites is Cardinal Newman, which features sexy nuns, sadomasochism and kink culture mot- motifs. So, I'm going to pause just a minute so I can find the clip and then we'll go over the lyrics. All right. So, I found the YouTube music video which I've noticed from the actual, like, I did a little preview on um, iTunes and the, the recording is actually a little different. So I'm not sure if they changed it for the music video or if it was changed for um, remastering. I know you can find like their newest work on Spotify, but I wasn't able to find any of their older stuff, at least not yet. Um, so here it's going to be playing off of my phone. So if it's not the best quality, I'm so sorry. <laughs> So we're about 13 seconds into the music video. So I'm not gonna go over that because I don't want my episode to get flagged for stealing their music. But yeah, so it's it's like this interesting, I feel like I keep saying interesting because like the music itself like is actually, I actually like it. Um, it's just a lyrics that I have a, a slight problem with, but we'll talk about that in a second. Um, okay, so the lyrics, I don't know if you're gonna be able to really understand what, hit, what was being said in that, but the lyrics roughly read, SS treatment early in the morning, religious instruction with Christian guilt, while they pray on bleeding knees, they'll suck your will until it's dry. Cardinal Newman is my savior, Sister Gabriel's a horny bitch, masturbation in hot showers, masturbation is Christian relief. And then I'm going to jump ahead down to the end. And so like the next verse, it's groups of boys just stare and watch, groups of girls rip and raw. penetration filled with fear penetration, a Christian relief, Cardinal Newman is my savior. And then it says that again. And then it says Catholic schools with prison bars, and it kind of ends fades out like that. So it's a very interesting song. Um, <laughs> but the lyrics deal with sexuality, religious hypocrisy, and the violence related to it, both physical and emotional. Um, this type of aggressive and graphic lyricism was pretty common throughout their disco- discography. Goodness, I can't speak. Um, And it's coupled with equally aggressive and pornographic performances, both live and recorded. Um, In the Axis Mundo catalog, there's an essay titled People Think We're Weird Cause We're Queer, Art Meets Punk in Los Angeles by Colin Gunkel. Uh, He dedicates an entire section to the band and writes that the band pushed the boundaries of taste and property. um, No, sorry, Propriety challenging conceptions of gender, sexuality, pleasure, religion, and the body, bearing more than a passing affinity with issues found in contemporaneous performance art. Um, So that's kind of why you see some of this. Um, They collaborated with many other artists in in the Chicano and greater Los Angeles art scenes. And the video for Cardinal Newman was created in collaboration with Michael I don't know if I said that right. But basically, the music video for Cardinal Newman features like, like I said, like Sexy Nuns. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. So if you have the time to watch it, you should. Um, and it's kind of like there's the, I think it's Cardinal Newman or somebody else like the, the context isn't entirely clear because of course, I mean, I was not alive when this was, when this was released. Um, and the video itself, I think it was, a, it might have been a clip, because I think the one at Lawndale Art Center from the exhibition that I saw was longer. And they're kind of like tying up the dude and the nuns are like, it looks like they're throwing blood on him. But I can't tell if it's just like a filter that was put on the one, the, the music video that was uploaded on YouTube. And I do not remember off the top of my head what exactly happened in the one at Lawndale. But you see rosaries with the crucifix, of course, if you are not familiar with Catholicism. And yeah, so it's it's a music video that you have to like watch and see, I feel like. And it's difficult to do like a visual analysis of it because it's moving so quickly. But it's very much like hypersexual. Kind of think if you mixed like modern day, like sexy nun Halloween costumes with lots of blood and and I don't want to say a problematic representation of kink culture because I mean I'm, I'm not too sure to be honest but yeah definitely definitely watch the music video if you have the time it's I can actually maybe I'll link this on the website okay let me see where I was at so do 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 oh so here we go Stapleton and Velasquez had previously collaborated with in Tierra in three oh gosh I'm so sorry my guy um, on his video, Leather Poltergeist. And I'm going to pull a quote, in which the specter of a leather boy in Nazi regalia is seen seducing, seducing Stapleton, who composed the soundtrack, as was a show at Club Fuck that repeatedly included a video projection of Velasquez ejaculating onto crucifixes, end quote. So a massive critique of the punk scene as a whole is the racism, sexism, and homophobia. And Frank, who at this point had refashioned herself as an all-American Jewish lesbian folk singer, was critical of the punk scene's use of Nazi imagery. And her song, Take Off Your Swastikas, is also read by Gunkel as a response aimed at nervous genders flirtation with Nazi imagery. From what I can find, I didn't see like a huge direct correlation, it's hard to, again, it's really hard to tell because there's not a lot of surviving music videos, at least that are published. And I think most of it is in, a, is in an archive. So yeah, like, definitely hella problematic for anybody at any point in history to be using Nazi imagery, especially at, like, such a time when we fully knew what was happening. So I know a lot of, like, countries didn't know exact. Or, I don't know you know what no I'm gonna backtrack on that I think people knew what was happening during World War II but they chose to turn a blind eye to it or maybe they didn't know to the extent at which was at which everything was happening because yeah even in World War II like as soon as Pearl Harbor happened the United States government rounded up every Japanese citizen sorry I thought my dog was making a weird noise yeah so pretty bad and a little bit very, sorry, a lot bit problematic to, to even be flirting with it. And I mean, as we've seen now, like you have the Proud Boys who are basically fucking neo-Nazis. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, the reason why I wanted to talk about Nervous Gender is because they do speak to some of the issues within the intersectional arts, even though even though their approach itself, sorry, even though their approach itself aided in the changing trends in music, performance, and art. A lot of the print media that Velasquez created for the band has been preserved by the ONE archive, and I'm pretty sure also from the other bandmates. But <clears throat> while they were problematic for a number of reasons, I think talking about them, and not just them, like artists like them too, I, w- I want to say it's almost like an internalized racism, um, self deprecating and, and hypocritical. And I know that this is not just my point of view. Um, There are other scholars who have talked about it, and it could have just been in passing, so I don't want to quote anyone in particular, because I know that this is just conversations I have had with people about nervous gender and and artists like them at this time, so... Yeah, i I wish I had somebody else here to talk with me about it, cause I I think that would really help sort of go through more in depth as to why why it is so problematic. But I'm gonna take a I'm gonna I'm gonna take a pause really quick. Okay, I think I have it better articulated. Um, so I think that a reason why I did want to talk about them is because while they are incredibly problematic in some aspects, they did push forward a lot of um, like trends in the music scene. And although they are part of like an intersectional inter yeah, intersectional community of, of artists, I think it's important that as scholars, we remain critical, even though other aspects of their work might have aided to the progression of art, performance art, whatever what whatever have you, you know. So, yeah, I mean, they did. I think it is important that they did criticize like the catholic church and you know like their their issue and not just catholic church but like christianity as a whole issue with um homosexuality and queerness in general that being said it doesn't it doesn't absolve them from being (laughs) sexist and you know nazi i don't want to say sympathize because i don't know if that's the right word but Yeah, it's, it's something like to remain, yeah, it's something to remain critical of. I know I'm like parroting myself, but yeah. So that is Nervous Gender. Uh, I know there's literally so much more that I could talk about for them because they do have like some visual art and like it's again all ephemeral and there's one in particular. It's, it was one of their like band posters or like flyers and I wish I had their website, because it was on their website, and I haven't been able to find it anywhere else. Actually, it might be in the in the um, catalog. But basically, it was a person. Oh, here it is. Yes, in the catalog. So it's ne- nervous gender never been released lyrics, and it's somebody being crucified on a penis. So that that's you know interesting, and like the the robe, like the tunic or whatever it's called on the individual is reminiscent of, of veins on a penis. So, so they're, I mean, they're very directly like criticizing the, like Christianity. And so they, they did a lot of really important things. It's just, again, remain critical of, of their problems, even though they did some important things for the art world. Okay, so I am gonna take a quick break and we'll jump into the discussion of the next artist, which is gonna be Vaginal Davis and her band Cholita. Um, but I know that, again, there's so much I could say about Nervous Gender, if you'd like, perhaps we could go into a Patreon episode for them and go a little bit more in depth. And I'll bring on um, one of my wonderful classmates from UH who focuses in Chicano art, and maybe he'll, you know, help guide the conversation in a different, in a different light. So yeah, we're gonna jump into the next artist, Vaginal Davis, and that's, I realize how that sounded, um, but you, you get what I mean. So yeah, and there'll be a brief little ad. Hello, art watchers. I'm sure you know how much I love to plan by now, but if planning really isn't your thing, Passion Planner still has products for you. They just introduced a new line of journals and they are pretty damn sleek. What's great about their journals, and their planners for that matter, is that they are entirely customizable. Passion planner offers these fantastic marker highlighter duos to let your creative side flow. I have their 12 pack and I absolutely love them. They're perfect for color coding and even cuter for doodles. Passion planner also offers some adorable and very helpful sticker packs like the women's empowerment sticker pack or their new Love is Love sticker pack, which celebrates the LGBTQ community. And if you didn't already know, Passion Planner is led by a queer woman of color. Talk about inspirational. So head over to passionplanner.com and use the code VICTORIAN10 at checkout for 10% off your entire purchase. That's victorian R I A N one zero. Again, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-I-A-N-1-0 happy planning. All right, and we are back with the second half of Axis Mundo part two. We're going to talk about Vaginal Davis, who originally used the stage name Vaginal Cream Davis, but at some point she did drop the cream and I could not find when. Um, So I'm going to pull a quote directly from her wonderful website. So Vaginal Davis is an originator of the homo core punk movement and a genderqueer artist music icon. Her concept bands, including Pedro Muriel and Esther, Cholita, the female menudo, sorry, that's one, Cholita, the female menudo, Black Fag, and the Afro Sisters have left an inedible mark, sorry, indelible mark on the development of underground music, end quote. And again, that was from her website. So Davis also became recognized for her zine, Ferta Latoya Jackson, which was from 1981 to 1991, and its extension, Shrimp in 1993, which uh, dedicated to the art of sucking toes. It's very specific. Um, Both were catalysts for what would later be called the queer core zine movement. Davis's performances were often influenced by her cultural heritage as both Chicana and African-American. She also has a few other alter egos, including Fertile Latoya Jackson, who is actually played by another person, not Davis, See, si, see, si, Iona. Oh my goodness, I cannot say that. I'm so sorry. I'll have the spelling somewhere. Um, a half Hungarian, half Italian porn star modeled on the original. Oh, maybe. See, si, Chicliona? I, Iona. Um, St- <laughs> So sorry, I butchered that. And then she also had Graciela Halva the teenage Latina bubblegum star, bubblegum pop star of Cholita, and Kaylee Hilliard, a pseudonym the artist gave when she worked at UCLA's Placement and Career Planning Center, the site where much of I'm Lafer- um, sorry, much of Fertile Toya Jackson was printed and copied. There are just a few, these are just a few of her many, many personas. In addition to her drag and zines, Davis is also well known for her paintings, videos and films, curatorial work, and her cultural critiques. Currently, Davis lives and works in Berlin, but while in the United States, she practiced between Los Angeles and New York City. Davis formed Cholita with Chicana punk musician Alice Bag, and Davis portrayed the 13-year-old Latina named Graciela Bag was Sad Girl, a character around 16 years old, and Frida Latoya Jackson, remember, one of Davis's alter egos, but portrayed by another individual, was Guadalupe, a character around 12 years old. So the band itself was like conceptually teenage pop, bubblegum pop punk sort of thing. And unlike Nervous Gender, more of Cholita's music is available, which is primarily due to Alice Bagg, um, her SoundCloud and Spotify. Although, like I said, Some of Nervous Genders' music is available on iTunes, but your Girl is on a mega budget, so I didn't download it. And they also have their newer work on Spotify. But, back to Cholita. So, Chinga Tu Mare, which is, has an incredible video with it. And I, it's from a live performance from the band. And I highly, highly recommend you watch it. Um, it's super fun. And, um, Davis, you know, is interacting with the audience and just, you can tell they're just having a really great time and it makes you wanna be a part of it. I don't know, they're just so happy. And even though the lyrics themselves literally translate to fuck you, fuck your mom, fuck your dad, fuck your whole family. So yeah, it's its pretty great. I'm gonna pause so I can pull it up. I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna pull up the um, the recorded, not the not the music video or sorry, YouTube video. All right, so this is directly from Alice Baggs SoundCloud. So I'm only gonna play a small clip because, again, I don't want my podcast to be flagged. Oh crap, it's in. Okay. All right. like the the vibe of that song and they're they like the couple songs that Alice Bag has up they're amazing and you should listen to them they're very catchy very fun to listen to <laughs> but um let me see so where was I on my little notes um so for all of my non-Spanish speakers that are listening The chorus goes chinga tu, chinga tu, chinga tu madre, chinga tu, chinga tu, chinga tu padre. And it essentially, you know, fuck you, fuck your mom, fuck your dad. And the rest of the lyrics are all related to like what you might say when someone really pisses you off, which is just go fuck yourself. The song is awesome. And I, I freaking love it. It's, it's hilarious. Uh, And the music, like you listen to it now and it's, It's pretty chill. I don't know. It's kind of like groovy. and I like it. But yeah, so like, I love that the song basically, you know, it's just a big like, I hate everybody. (laughs) But it's so peppy and so fun to listen to. And um, their persona like on that on that um, uh, YouTube video, they have like such fun colors. And she's very engaged with the audience. She actually like after the song, like, well, I think it's like some somewhere in the middle of the song. she kind of like has them pause and she teaches the listeners the lyrics, which is really cool. and she, you know, goes like, here you, I'm gonna say this, you say this. And then like she goes through it with them. And yeah, it's it's pretty awesome and and I I really like their their group. Um, let me go to the next song, which is called "Beans Are Not Enough." It's a quirky yet political outcry about the inequities of people of color, not just in the United States, but around the world. The band uses humor and harsh realities to make the listener uncomfortable about their relationship to these problems. So I'm going to pause one more time and I'll come back with the song. All right, so I have jumped ahead into the song. It's like about 20 seconds in because the first part of it is like this really awesome intro, a nice bass line and... Some really, really great stuff. Um, So again, off my phone, so sorry if the quality is not that great. Like it's it's they're using humor so like in that last part okay sorry about that my dog was barking we have a maintenance person coming into the yard today and he my dog is being overly protective i guess he's doing this dog job you know okay anyway back to the lyrics um so she sings like i'm gonna go to the second part of the of the verse but in the fifth world children are starving they're eating beans and constantly farting but you don't care, you don't give a damn, you've made them your sacrificial lambs. And then they say, they sing beans aren't enough and then they, they go into the next part of the song. It's pretty awesome, I think you should listen to it. I know I keep saying that, um, but I really, really like their, their stuff. And um, I like that they, it's, their music is really easy to listen to in the sense that it's fun, it's light, it's peppy or rather poppy. And, um, well, of course, punk too. Cause it, yeah, punk is different in different scenes there's different genres of punk. Um, and I, I think that the fact that they are so enticing to listen to gives them a wider audience. And, you know, like when you're singing along, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, this is great. And then when you think about the lyrics and something like, you know, switches and you're like, wait a second, this is, this is really fucked up. Um, it's such a happy song, but it's so depressing. So, I think that that their music is it has like a different hook than than like Nervous Gender where their hook is being just outright angry and and sounding angry and um yeah, it's it's a different sorry. They approach anger differently. And I don't want to say one is more successful over the other, but Wait, no, I think I did by accident. That's not what I meant. Um, but I, I think that the way Cholita brings about their anger and, and their their political frustration, their socioeconomic frustration, it's it has the opportunity to reach a wider audience and a different audience. Whereas Nervous Gender just wanted to piss everybody off. Okay, so I do, as much as I love the music, Cholita, that they created... Um, I want to switch gears and focus a little bit more on Davis's individual projects. So Cholita is super interesting and you should definitely, definitely go listen to the rest of their music that Alice Bag has posted on her SoundCloud and I think you'll, you'll really enjoy it. It's, it's fun, it's upbeat, it's catchy, but at the same time the lyrics are really raw. So Davis's The White To Be Angry. It was originally a 1999 short film directed by Davis but most recently it was turned into an exhibition in partnership with the Chicago Art Institute in 2020. The short film challenged white supremacist culture and how it circulates across political spheres. It's a different, oh, sorry. It's a visual album with the songs acting as chapters and each uh, referencing a different film director separated by sequences of appropriated footage from television and movies. I'm going to pull a quote from the Art Institute of Chicago's website. Davis's Pedro Muriel and Esther bandmate Glenn Meadmore appears in a chapter riffing on Clive Barker playing a serial killer while an know skinhead by the name of Edward Guillemure plays a character who is both attracted to and violent towards the people his hate speech spewing. Elders seek to demonize. End quote. Sorry. So yeah, I I think that the the work itself is really interesting. I wasn't able to find the video or the movie itself. If you have access to canopy, you might be able to, but I mean I I don't think I do anymore. I think my my UH stuff has expired and I don't know if my current university has has it. The joys of online learning from afar. <laughs> um But I think it kind of goes in line with, I don't know if you've ever heard, there's like different studies where like they'll measure brain activity and like, it's like the more somebody is like actively homophobic, typically they're the ones that are like most aroused and most attracted to that. So it's like this internalized homophobia, but they've been like raised in a certain way um, to demonize it, which is, I think is happening here, but of course it's a much more complex story going on because it's talking about a neo-Nazi or a skinhead. I think, are they the same? I think they're the same, right? Yeah. They're the same. Um, and the fact that it's a serial killer and also they riff on serial killers because many of the male serial killers that they had discussed, and I can't remember which ones, um, but they all had like homosexual, uh, desires, but they didn't ever act on them. And so it like, they became very violent. And I'm, I'm sure you could find more on it. If you watch those like true crime documentaries, I'm not a huge fan of them. Um, but if you are, feel free to message me and we can talk more about it. But yes, the exhibition was a compilation of films directed by Davis and films about Davis. Um, I really wish I had been able to find this short film because I would love to watch it in depth and provide a more accurate visual analysis slash, like, context to it. Um, so if anybody does have access to it, I would love it if you would share. And I will, of course, like, you know, hey, why don't you join me in a conversation about this? And again, that can be another Patreon, Patreon episode. But I think that that her work is really... Fascinating. It's raw. It's um, powerful too. And there's this video that I found that she uploaded um, on her own YouTube, and it's called "This Is Not a Dream," vaginal Davis. And I think it was her YouTube, or no, it might be somebody else. But she does talk about being. She calls herself a black dress musician and filmmaker, and. In her own words, like, I'm going to paraphrase here, but if you want to watch the video, I'll actually link it down, um, in the blog post instead of on the episode bio. Anyway, so she talked about how, like, her reason for wanting to enter the punk scene, or actually, I believe she said that the punk scene was originally more queer, but it became co-opted by, like, heteronormativity, fascist, and all sorts of other, like, really, like, problematic groups, and it became really violent, really macho. And I love how she says, just icky. Um, I think that's, I think that's a great description of it. But yeah, and so she said like her work and the work of her like colleagues, yeah, colleagues, really worked to, sorry, actively pursued pushing against heteronormativity. And she would do, like, on her, I think it was on Fertile Toya Jackson, or one of her other, like, news-esque projects, she would go around Los Angeles and interview gender non-conforming prostitutes, and instead of making them as, like, these poor women who have been, like, horrifically marginalized by the system, which they were, but, like, news, I think it's, like, 60 minutes, they really, they make them, like, helpless victims which isn't entirely wrong but i i think you know what i'm talking about like where it's overly overly critical and not really getting at the core of the problem they're not looking at the blame of like the societal pressures and norms sorry my dog keeps barking that led to that led to them being in like prostitution or whatever that that Person was and in, instead of doing that, Davis talks to them about their hair and talks to them about their clothes and just like what they like to do. Um, and, and she keeps it light. She gives them agency, which I think is really important. And that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. So like 60 Minutes and other news segments like that, they didn't do that for those for those people. And especially at the time of the AIDS crisis, when there's already um, a very problematic stigma around homosexuality and particularly around gay men. Um and gender non-conforming individuals who may or may not have AIDS. Yeah, what she's doing, I think it's, it's a different way to approach the, the struggles within the, within the LGBTQ community. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause because I actually, I'm gonna have to go to class in about 20 minutes. Um, so I'm gonna finish recording after. All right, so I am back after class. Sorry about that brief break. But uh, yes, so Nervous Gender and Davis are two incredibly different takes on punk and queer identity, especially like, you know, in Los Angeles, Um, since that's like the sort of center point of the exhibition Access Mundo. A major thing I really hope you don't take away from this is that there's a good versus a bad artist. That's not the case. Um, I'm certain that, you know, there can be critiques for any artist that we talk about on the podcast. But I thought they were interesting, like, polar opposites because you they're both performance performance artists. They're also both musicians. Um, and so it's just too very different interpretations of queer identity and that identity within both the chicanx community well actually chicano community at this and um the punk scene so yeah um like i said there's problems with any artist and with that being said i am not by any means condoning the problematic things that nervous gender did in their in their stuff um but yeah, I I mean I think that you have like this more like stereotypical like emo punk kind of thing, and then you've got like this bubblegum pop rock stuff going on with with uh, Cholita and and uh, Davis's work with them, and so yeah, like I don't know, I think it's really interesting. I I do appreciate both genres of music. I am very much like. I went through my sceney-weeny phase. I mean, I still love that music too. And shout out to like Blink-182 and A Dater Member and all that, all those wonderful bands. Um, so I think that's part of the reason why I genuinely enjoy like the music of Nervous Gender, even though it's very much like an attack on the sensory, like, like on your senses, um, as well as, you know, of course, like if you were to ever, if you had ever seen them live, then like a confrontation, like with the physical body as well, um so yeah I I think I just really I really vibe with both genres of music um and then as far as Davis's work I think that it's she she does a lot of really different things and I think the only reason why I didn't touch too much on the individual projects of Nervous Gender is because there's so many different band members going on or that coming in and leaving and and there's just too many to cover whereas Davis is just one person or or two if you consider her or multiple people if you consider her personas um so yeah like it's just a little bit different way of looking at punk in the queer chicano community you have like one that's a little bit more machismo and the other one that's like not um but yeah no i think they they both are are really interesting takes on punk and queer identity i know i keep saying that but yeah i i think that uh I would really love for any listeners to email back and like give me their thoughts. And of course, I'd love to talk more about them. Let's see, how can I how can I wrap up? Yeah, I mean, I think the main takeaway is that they offer two completely subsets of queer culture and Chicano culture. Yeah. And and a lot of their like themes in present in both are still around today. So you still have like Drag shows, which, I mean, of course, were popular then, they're still popular now, but they, like, Cholita and, uh, and Davis, you know, like, they, she is known for, like, what's considered, like, um, crap, what did they say? It was, like, terroristic drag. Yes, that's what they said. And so, you know, they, you know, there's also all so cool things, and I need to, I wish I had been to, like, more drag shows. Um, <laughs> and then as far as, like, the punk the punk version, uh, or punk iterations today, it's still very much, like, sticking it to the man, you know, that sort of thing, so I, I think that's still, still present, and, um, something that is within both Nervous Gender and, and Cholita, well, Davis, I, I know, I keep bringing, bringing it back to Cholita, just because of the music aspect, um, but commentaries on, you know, societal norms and, neither one of those groups fitting in perfectly it's not you know like a a little puzzle piece like they're all unique people and they're all unique takes on what it's like to be you know a person <laughs> that being said uh, again you know we still need to remain critical of of some of the things that nervous gender did yeah i think i think with both sections of this episode is gonna be pretty long I'd very much love to at some point revisit both of them individually and try and, and go more in depth, especially with Davis's career and of course, you know, Nervous Gender too. Um, hopefully they'll have their website back up. I don't know if it will be. I I mean, if you have ever looked at their website, it's no, no offense to them whatsoever, but you can tell it's very dated. So it could just be that it was never updated or... Um, modernized <laughs> as far as like how websites are looking now um so yeah hopefully hopefully their website will be available again and you can kind of see what I'm talking about I think you should they do have quite a lot of documentaries about uh, nervous gender on YouTube there were too many to cover a lot of it does talk about Gerardo Velasquez's identity as a queer, uh, man in the Chicano, uh, community. At least I think they, I'm pretty sure they did. Yeah. Um, I'm tr- sorry. It's been a couple, it's been a crazy couple weeks and I'm trying to remember all of the, the interviews I've talked about, but in one of them, Frank actually does talk about her, I guess, apprehension around some of the language that was used, like derogatory towards women and, you know, yeah. And so like, she does make a comment, but of course, like, you know, she's she never like spoke poorly of, of the group. Um, so I, th- I think, from what I've seen, there's probably still some like, good connections going on. That being said, of course, I'm not like on the inside of the group. So I can't, I can't comment <laughs> to that specifically. But yeah, definitely check out some of the videos around them. And if you do have access to any of like their ephemeral, let me know. And I, I would absolutely love to have somebody on and, and talk more about either Nervous Gender or Vaginal Davis and Chalita. Um, but yeah, I think I'll end there today. I know it's kind of a, a crazy episode back, but I hope you at least enjoyed it. There's so much more I could talk about both of them. So if I missed something, I'm so sorry, feel free to email me and and uh, we'll chat about it. If you aren't already, make sure you're following on social media, Instagram and Twitter at Artwatch Podcast. You can email me artwatchpodcast at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, check out the Artwatch Podcast website. It's just artwatchpodcast.com. And you can learn more about me. There's some blog posts. Maybe you could subscribe if you so choose. Um, Yeah, I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. And I think the next series is going to be like a little back to school, like three episode mini series. Mainly just because I wasn't really happy with how the How to Write an Essay episode turned out. I think part of it was that I was great. I was doing it from the perspective of the grader, not the professor. And so now I have like, now I'm working on that and I will talk about, you know, how to break it down. It'll be geared towards undergrad. Um, for the back to school series. So yeah, make sure you check out the website, follow on social media and download wherever you get your podcast. It helps me keep track. Um, Have a great weekend.